you know, in the next three Sundays, we are going to uh, look at certain passages in the book of Colossians. And we are going to start today in Colossians chapter 1. And this, I feel, is a, a really beautiful, beautiful passage. And we have, we made some references uh, of this passage. But let me just give you a quick context of, of this, uh, this whole book. This is a beautiful book written by, uh, this is a good letter, beautiful letter written by Apostle Paul to a church in Colossae. It's a, it's a province, mostly Gentiles, but there are possible dangers. The re- that's the reason why Paul is sending this letter to them. Two possible dangers. You know, the statement that we will read later on, the the passage that I will read, can bring physical trouble to those who believe it. What's the title of the preaching? Jesus is King. When you say that, during that time, that can bring you trouble. That's the context of the people there. When you say that Jesus is King, and then you have a Roman emperor who who is longing for for worship, that could lead you to trouble. And here's the second problem that I think is also essential to us as well. There could be a faulty understanding of who Jesus is. This was written maybe about 50 to 60 AD. So maybe just a few years after Jesus was crucified, died, crucified, and resurrected, and people are saying that Jesus is not who he really is. Yes, he's famous, he's popular, but not, he's not really powerful. So, possibly, na in that congregation, they will say, yes, Jesus is great. And then the next generation will say, yes, Jesus is a good man. And then another generation will just say, Jesus is just one of the teachers. And Paul is just trying to correct what they possibly do not understand of who Jesus is. So if you have your Bibles, please just turn with me to Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And the point of this whole thing is just to let you see why Jesus is king unlike any king that we have ever know or ever see or ever imagine and why that should matter to us today. Let me read. So Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And I'm reading from the ESV. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your scripture. And we just acknowledge that your scripture is sufficient and is profitable not because of our good interpretation, not because of our translation, not because of our presentation, but because of your spirit. And so we pray, Lord God, that as we study your word, that we will recognize that it is you who speaks. Open all our hearts, Lord. Open our ears and our minds that when we hear your word, we know it's from you and it is your presence that is in our midst today. Bless this time, Lord God. And Jesus, may you be 
seen by all of us as our great king in Christ's name. Amen. So let me just give to you two descriptions of what kind of king Jesus is. First is that Jesus is king over all creation. He is king over all creation. Pastor, alam naman na, namin yan eh. Alam na namin na siya ay ang hari ng buong uh, kalawakan in, in all creation. But let me just give you three uh, reasons why that is important. You know, Jesus is unlike any other king that you will see or imagine or think because, one, he perfectly represents the creator. He perfectly represents the God of all creation. Verse 15 says, He is the image, the visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There's a, par uh, there's a cross reference to that in Hebrews 1 3. It says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. You know what it says? It, Jesus is the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. What kind of king can ever say that? Also, two things that I want you to see in this uh, verse. It says also that God is invisible. What do you mean when you say God is invisible? You cannot see. You cannot see God. And if you cannot see God, what does that mean? How can you relate to a something or someone that, that you do not see? But here's what, we, uh, here's what I want you to understand. Even though God cannot be seen, He can still be known. He can still be known. In fact, He wants us to, he wants us to know Him. And we know Him visibly through His Son, Jesus, who is the exact representation of the invisible God. Here's what happened in, uh, in the last few nights of Jesus on earth with his disciples. So uh, he had meal time with his disciples and he's referring to, in John 14, he was talking to his disciples, mentioning the Father and he's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And maybe Philip is just so bored with what Jesus is saying, or he's saying, Jesus get to the point, he just said, Lord, could you just show us the Father, and that is enough. Lord, ju just show us the Father, don't describe him, just show us the Father, and that is enough for us. You know what Jesus said? You know, Philip, don't you know me? We have been hanging out long time. I have been with you for the long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You know, some of you see, have seen a picture of my father, but you cannot say that if you've seen me, you've seen my, my dad. We are not exactly alike. Maputi siya, singkit yung mata niya, mas pogi siya kaysa sa akin. But Jesus is the exact imprint, the exact nature, the visible image of the invisible God. If you have seen Him, you have seen the Father. Jesus is the perfect representation of the God that we do not see. You know what that means? For people who have been there, they have been walking to the God of all creation. They have been walking to the one who created the universe. You know, in the 90s, in the 90s, there's a song called, uh, by, by John Osborne, there's a song called, What If God Was One of Us? Maybe some of you know that song? What If God Was One of Us? You know, the song was basically throwing out that question, you know, what if, what if God is just among us? 
just walking on the street just like a normal guy. In fact, you know that, that song won uh, the, the Grammy Record of the Year in 1995. Part of the lyrics says, If God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to His face? If you were faced with Him in all His glory. Another verse says, If God had a face, what would it look like? And would you want to see it? If seeing meant that you would have to believe. You know, John Osborne is asking that question and the Bible has an answer. The Bible says, Jesus. That's Him. And the song, you know, you know, the song is actually what is happening when Jesus was walking on this earth with his disciples. He taught in synagogues. He ate with, with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. He rebuked the, the Pharisees. He healed the sick. And he is the visible image of the invisible. And he was in the midst of the creation walking and eating and laughing with them. That's, that's, that's his very essence. That's the very essence of incarnation. But you know what? The people singing, what if God was one of us, did not recognize him. Pastor, kung sila nga, if the people at that time did not recognize who God is in Jesus Christ, and he did a lot of great things, he healed the sick, left and right he thought very powerfully and did they did they did not recognize god Pano pa tayo? what about us we didn't have the privilege to see jesus physically how are we to understand and how are we to see god through jesus if we do not see him well you know we have today at your disposal, in your hands, two gifts from God for you to understand who God is, to point you to Jesus. One is the scripture. The scripture says, uh, Jesus says in John 5.39, the scripture testify about me. The scripture testify about me. Not only that, you have the spirit Again, Jesus in John 14 says, The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you about me. So what you have, what I have today, is enough for you to know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you know God. You know, Apostle Paul, the one who wrote the letter that we are reading right now, did not see Jesus on earth face to face. What he has is the scripture. And what he has is the Spirit. He has the most Christ-centered message that I can see in the Scripture. You know, here's what's even more beautiful, if that is not enough, in verse 15. Jesus is not just the perfect representation of the visible God. He is also the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. Anong Tagalog ng firstborn? Panganay. Okay, for American friends and, and people from Cambodia, uh, firstborn, panganay. I need you to listen very carefully because that is not what the text means. It does not mean Jesus is the kuya. Alright? Yes, He is the firstborn, the prototokos in a sense that in the sense of status in the sense of ranking in the sense of privilege but not in the sense of he is the first rank in the created being because Jesus was not created right Jesus was not created but he has that firstborn status in rank in privilege and you know what that means in the Old Testament? If you are a firstborn, you get special privileges. You get all the inheritance. You get all the riches of the Father. So when the Bible says Jesus is rich, 
because he owns everything. He is inheriting everything. So there's no one else in the universe who has this characteristic. And you need to keep that in mind because, you know, that is very important as we move along. And because of his status as the firstborn of all creation, he has the right to rule over creation, right? So in verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You know, what this means is that, you know, everything you see, even the things that you do not see, every created being, every created thing can find its DNA back to Jesus. When you wore your shirt, your pants, today, yung pants nyo, di ba, merong tag? Mer dito, di ba? Dito. So, ano yung nakalagay dyan sa, sa tag? 50% polyester? 100% <laughs> cotton? If you're wearing uh, Uniqlo, either made in China, made in Vietnam, made in Cambodia, it's made from somewhere and it gives you instruction uh, of how to take care of it, right? Oh, ano to ha? Pwede tong machine wash. Pwedeng hand wash. Dapat lukewarm water. Yan. So binibigyan ka ng instruction on how to take care of what you own. You know, in the Gospels, in Matthew, in Mark, and Luke, they are, every, every one of them is telling the same story of Jesus calming the storm. So here's a quick background. Uh, Jesus and his disciples were in the middle of the sea, and there was a storm, and everybody was worried. Everyone was worried. And you know what, what Jesus was doing? Snoring. Wow, blasphemous si pastor. Si Jesus nagsisnore. He was sleeping. <laughs> See, sorry, Lord. <laughs> so sleeping lang, sleeping. And, and the disciples were saying, Lord, don't you care? We are about to die. We are about to die. And he said, you of little faith. He spoke to the wind. He said, quiet, be still. And it became calm. You know, the response of, of the disciples there, what kind of man is this that even the winds obey him? You know, when Jesus called for the winds to stop, it stopped because when the wind, the waves, and the storm look at its DNA, it saw made by Jesus, made for Jesus made through Jesus, and they hear the voice of the one who made them, and they obey. Think about the tag in your life. Think about your hands now. Think about your feet. Think about your back, your spine. Think about your brain. Think about your heart. You may not see it. You may not see the tag. But at the DNA level, there is a tag that says, made by Jesus. Made for Jesus. Made through Jesus. That's who you are, my friends. Now, when we think of a king, all the rulers, they have the same thing in common. You know, kanilang authority, their authority and power is limited to their own territory, to their own scope. But Jesus as king, his scope is boundless. He rules over all spheres of creation. So when people are reading this, they might say, 
What about the emperor in Rome? Yes, including him. What about the centurions who do not believe in Jesus? Yes, including them. What about today? What about the people who do not know Jesus in to, towards the end of the earth? Yes, including them. What about the people in White House? Yes, including them. What about the people in Malacanang? Yes, especially them. Even thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, whether they, they are physical or spiritual. You know what that means? Even the hurts, even the pain in your life, whether they are caused by sin or by Satan, is not beyond the authority of Jesus. You know, evil will not overcome you because Jesus the King constantly sustains all creation. Verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. It's a beautiful verse. In Him all things hold together. I'm sure you've, you've, uh, you've heard that on the news, but there's this guy from south of the Philippines when the earthquake happened <laughs> i i think he's more than suffering uh delusions of grandeur i think it's just deceiving a lot of people so more than that i think he's a false teacher so he said you know i i am i ordered the earthquake to stop and it stopped so you have to thank me for that i don't know about that but here's the litmus test if you really are the king over all creation. If you're just telling things to stop, but you cannot sustain my life, you're no king. If your limitation is the evil in my life, you have no power and authority over me. But Jesus holds all things together. Who is holding your life together today? What is holding your life together today? Is it money? Is it the relationship that you're trying to pursue? Is it the promise of a good career that if you have that career, everything else in your life will be held together? He is before all things and in Him all things hold together you know there's this very uh, interesting quote from Ibram uh, Kuyper he said there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign of all does not cry mine mine You know what that means today for us. If Jesus is king over all creation, he perfectly represents the God of all creation. He rightfully rules over creation and he lovingly, constantly sustains creation. You know, people who follow him ought to be the best environmentalists. We ought to be people who care for creation but we cannot be you know angry environmentalists we cannot be doomsday preppers instead we are called to be hopeful stewards of creation do you get that we can be the angry environmentalists telling people and judging people Hey, you're, you're, you're using plastic straws. I curse you. <laughs> well, ganon. Don't do that. 
We cannot be angry, you know, environmentalists. Also, we cannot be, we're just dreading things will just fall apart, so I'll just prepare myself and my family. You know, what we ought to do is that we will have hope and be good stewards of God's creation. We have hope because restoring all creation does not solely depend on our inventions or campaigns. We have hope because restoring all creation means restoring everything in Christ. Restoring everything in Christ. But pastor, if Jesus is holding everything together, why is there so much chaos in the world? Let's personalize that. If Jesus is holding my life together, why is there so much chaos in my life? Why do I feel like, you know, everything is a mess? You know, that is a really good question for all people to ask. And it may take, it may take our whole life uh, to find a sufficient answer. But here's my, you know, simplified answer. I know this will not suffice, but for, you know, for the sake of the argument, let me, let me just give a simple answer. If, God holds, if Jesus holds everything together, why is there so much chaos? You know why? Because creation is in rebellion against its creator. It's in rebellion against its creator. You know, when sin entered through one man in Adam... You know, remember, when God created man, he bestowed in him his image, right? So he is an image bearer of God. And because the image bearer rebelled against God, it created a ripple effect in the entire cosmos. So it's not just, it's not just man and his soul that's broken. Everything else was broken because he, cre he was created in the image of God. But, because Jesus is supreme over all creation, even in our broken state, even the creation in its open rebellion against its creator, Jesus can do something about it. And which is why, you know, the second point matters a lot. Jesus is not just the king over all creation, he is also not just the king, he is also the king of reconciliation. He's the king of reconciliation. You know, there are two ways that we can see this visibly. And we see that first happening in the church. Verse 18 says, Christ is also the head of the church. I'm quoting a New Living Translation. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. You know, our world is full of conflict. And obviously, everyone wants to resolve that conflict. You know, the United Nations was founded in 1945. You know what happened during that time? World War II. So United Nations was founded, was started, and the goal is to keep the peace among nations. And we praise the Lord for that because today, United Nations is, is successfully resolving past and present conflicts. But the problem is it is powerless sometimes to prevent new ones. Every four years, we have the Olympics where all nations can gather together, can just compete uh, in sports just to show camaraderie, unity of all nations. But even in the Olympics, it is marred with conflicts. God meant for the church, his people, to be a light to the nations on what 
unity and harmony and reconciliation looks like? You know why? Because the head of this people of God has no other agenda but reconciliation. Jesus is gathering his people from all tribes, tongues, and nations, and they are united by a common goal that is beyond territorial boundaries, beyond race, beyond culture or preference. The people of God are gathered to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And they are united with that. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20 and 21 says, So then you are no longer strangers. You are no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And Paul in this letter in Ephesians was talking to Gentiles and also referring that the Jews and the Gentiles can now gather together to be called the people of God. Two weeks ago, as many of you know, uh, I was not here. Uh, I was uh, in Singapore to attend a missions conference. So uh, this, uh, this church invited me to, to participate, so I said yes. I wanted to see what it looks like to just uh, fellowship with our brothers from a different uh, nation. So my, my goal is to just really attend and get to know the pastor and the people and everyone. Two months before the trip, they said, Pastor, can you speak at, at the, one of the workshops? Just talk about the Philippines. So I said, okay. <laughs> So I'll just talk about, that's easy, I'll just talk about the Philippines, I'll just talk about my church. Uh, I'll just talk about, you know, what the Lord is doing in, in, in Metro Manila. So that's, that's very easy. So on the day of the conference, I, I, I came in. Uh, it was uh, attended by about uh, 300 people. Um, so they started, the facilitator, the, the MC started uh, by saying, okay, so we are going to sing, How Great Is Our God. Okay? We are going to sing, How Great Is Our God. And I shared this with my Bible study group last Thursday and the ministry team last Tuesday. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to sing, How Great Is Our God, but in three different languages. So this group, sabi nung, nung facilitator, this group will sing, How Great Is Our God in Thai. So tinuruan muna, okay, this is how you sing, uh, how great is our God in Thai? Okay, so everyone. So this group where I belong, um, you will sing uh, How Great is Our God in Chinese. Naturally, about 80% <laughs> of the people there are speaking Chinese except me. <laughs> so it's easy for them. I was like, it's just mumbling. <laughs> so, okay, so how great is our God? Chinese, go. Okay. Uh, and this group will uh, uh, sing, How Great Is Our God, Cambodia. Cambodia. Okay, so everyone was singing, How Great Is Our God, in three different languages. And it's so beautiful. And that's a glimpse of what Revelation 7 says. Where all tribes, tongues, and nation is singing, Salvation belongs to our God and unto the Lamb. That's just, it blew my mind. But the story does not stop there. So towards the end of the conference, they are about to close the conference. And so they gave some instructions. Okay, we will close the conference. So I did my workshop. Uh, okay, we're, that's done. Uh, everyone was gathered again. Okay, here's what we're, how we're going to close, uh, says the missions pastor. Here's what we're how we're going to close. We are go going to sing, How Great Is Our God Again, in the language that you learned. By the way, we have someone here who speaks Tagalog. <laughs> so when, he, when, when the pastor said that, I was like, oh no, what's going to happen? <laughs> so 
so they said, okay, Pastor Abed, can you just come up on stage and teach us the Tagalog of how great is our God? You don't do that to me. <laughs> you don't surprise me like that. I, I was not informed about it. You know, it's probably the Holy Spirit who taught me and reminded me about how great is our God in Tagalog. So I'm thankful that I learned that from Kuya Waldi, our um, music director. I was rehearsing the how great is our God um, during the conference, not knowing that I will teach the how great is our God in Tagalog for everyone. So I was there, the only one speaking Tagalog. People speaking Thai, Chinese, Cambodian. And we were singing the same thing. You have a voice in worshiping the Lamb. You have a place, your voice have a place in worshiping the King of Kings. Whether that's Tagalog, whether that's Cebuano, whether that's Ilongo, or any other language in the Philippines. What does that mean for us today? You know, if Jesus is king of reconciliation, and this reconciliation can be seen in the church, then the church ought to be a place where forgiveness happens. It's a place where you ask for forgiveness. It's a place where you release forgiveness. Just think about it. We are all coming from different backgrounds. Stress at school, pinagalita ng ng boss, overtime, family problems, you are going to lash out on others. One guarantee, if you are part of a church, you will eventually hurt someone. You will hurt someone. Or be hurt by someone. You know my tip? If you want to reduce the possibility of being hurt, go to church three times a year. Anniversary of the church, Easter, Christmas. The likelihood of you being hurt by someone is very low. But still, there's a possibility that you will be offended by the preaching. Especially if the preacher is Pastor Abbott. <laughs> You will, you will eventually hurt someone in the church. And you will be hurt by someone. But that's the beauty of the church. Because we have the king whose sole purpose is to reconcile all people to himself. Reconciliation is possible. If Jesus is also the king of reconciliation and that happens in the church... The church ought to be also a place where diversity is not just accepted, it is pursued. It is pursued. Diversity in race, in culture, in economic status can gather together and we pursue that, we welcome that, we encourage that. You know, in one of the, the trips that we did recently, so Chris and I met with this pastor from South Africa. And you know the really deep, hurting history of South Africa, right? There's just division uh, in, that, uh, in that part of the world. But you know, this pastor is saying, you know, we're not just allowing diversity in the church. We pursue it. We want it to happen in, in our church, obviously, we will attract people of the same interests, of the same demographic. That's natural. So, for example, we have a lot of uh, students in UP here, right? Na that's natural for us because when, when you're from UP you will, uh, and, and you have friends from UP, you will, you will go together. 
but we will also welcome people from, from UST, right? <laughs> it's fine, guys. <laughs> it's fine when we have people from UP and UST. So we will find out later on if we are going to cheer for Andrea. <laughs> and then we can, you know, people from in this church, people from La Salle and Ateneo not just coexist, but can cheer together. Cheer together for UP. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I want us to pursue, not just welcome. Uh, let me uh, be uh, transparent. I am uh, becoming more and more uncomfortable when I'm asked, Pastor, what's the target demographic of your church? What's the target demographic of your church? And obviously, that's a question for strategy, and, and that's a good question that but I am starting more and more to be uncomfortable in answering that because I want a diverse church. I, I want to have a, a good answer to that. And so, this, so far, this is what I've come up with. You know, my target, the target demographic of our church are people who need to see Jesus as the king people who need to see Jesus as the king, regardless of their economic status, regardless of their educational background, regardless of their race and culture or preference, regardless if they know English or not, regardless if they, they experience deep brokenness in their family, most especially them. I want people to be here in the church because they see Jesus as king. You know, that is difficult, let me tell you. That is difficult when you're pursuing reconciliation, diversity. It is difficult, but it is possible. You know why? Because it already happened. Because we see the ultimate reconciliation happening on the cross we see it on the cross 19 and 20 of our verses for in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross listen there's nothing more worse than a separation between a holy God and sinful man for eternity. If you are trying to figure out how to reconcile people who are always fighting, that's nothing compared to the separation between the holy God and the sinful man for eternity. But only Jesus is qualified to restore that broken relationship. Why? Because he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. He is the only one able to receive that wrath. And because the offending party is humanity, the one who bears the image of God, he took the human form so that he is the rightful recipient of that wrath. And so we see that two natures of Jesus, fully human, but also fully God. We see that on display at the cross. And because of that, the fellowship between God and man was restored. There was reconciliation on the cross. That's what it looks like when Paul shares this letter to the people in Philippi, in Philippians 2. Have this in mind among yourselves, he says, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, verse 9 says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is king to the glory of God the Father. Let me just conclude with this, with this statement. And I want you to remember this. Because Jesus is king over all creation, because Jesus is king of reconciliation, he deserves our complete allegiance. He deserves our complete submission. We do not make Jesus king. He is already king whether you believe it or not. Let me repeat that. Because Jesus is king over all creation, and he is king of reconciliation, he deserves our complete allegiance. We do not make him king, he is king. Let me just give some applications for us today to take home, uh, to do, um, you know, as we start our week, as I call on the, the music team to, to lead us in a song. If you're an adult, if you are working a student or just an adult, you know, one of the things to, to exercise this is just to see Jesus as king in every aspect of your life. If you see him as king of your Sunday, 4 to 6 p.m., that's a good start. But how about extending that to your home? How about then extending that when you start going to work? How about extending that to your workplace to see Jesus who deserves your complete allegiance in everything? Start with that. Start small and just keep going along. For parents here, how many are parents of maybe toddlers or uh, children below 10, 9? Parents, all right? Here's a practical thing you can do. You can teach your children about Jesus as king. Teach your children about Jesus as king. Watch Chronicles of Narnia with them. Read Chronicles of Narnia, the whole series with them, and ask them, what do you think about Aslan? What do you think about him? How do you feel about this guy? And tell them, you know how Aslan is? He is the king of the beasts. He is a good king. He is not safe, but he is good. That's Jesus, my son, my daughter. And here's one more thing that we can all do. There's this phrase that I want also for you to remember. Theology leads to doxology. Theology leads to doxology. You know, when you read Colossians 1, 15 to 20, it doesn't sound, it doesn't look like a letter because it's more of a doxology. It's more of a song. It's more of a praise to the Lord. So when the pursuit of understanding who God is must lead to the worship of who God is. So, for me, the best response for us understanding that Jesus is king is worshiping him as our king. So, as we 
uh, end this time in, in a song. I'd like to request everyone to stand and we will sing that song again and, and I'll close us in prayer. Worship and singing is an immediate good response for Jesus as King. But let me challenge you, worship of Jesus does not stop in us singing. And worship is not even just a lifestyle as if we have a choice for it. Worship involves all of life. And so let me challenge you today that as you worship Jesus as King, it involves all aspects of your life and he deserves all glory and honor and praise and he will forever reign in every part of your life let us pray indeed lord jesus you are king whether we see it or not whether we like it or not whether we believe it or not you are king you are the king that created everything, whether visible or invisible. Even thrones, powers, dominions, rulers, and authorities submit all to you. And you are our King who reconciles all things to yourself. And because of that, you deserve our complete and humble allegiance. You are our King, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for all of us that we will see your scope, your power, your authority as the ultimate King in every part of our life. Lord, be King in our families who are struggling. Be King of people who are struggling with their finances be king of people who are marred with anxiety and depression be king lord god for people who are struggling with their identity be king lord god of people who are uncertain of their future and i pray that in all these things lord that they will see that you are the ultimate king and i pray lord that as we recognize you as king that we will humble ourselves before you you who ought to receive the crown for eternity chose to wear the crown of thorns for each and every one of us you who carried the whole world into your hands carried the heavy cross the weight of sin of each and every one of us here and so because of that, Lord, we are reconciled to you. We thank you that we can see you as our king. And I pray, Lord God, that even as we live our lives, that we will recognize your rule, your complete reign over everything. We praise you. We love you. We glorify you. You are our king. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.